Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight Walking in a winter wonderland Hello everybody and welcome to a very special holiday edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host Mike Phillips and I have a very full show for you guys today. It's a holiday week coming up. I have a very special guest joining me today. I will be talking to a man who was the public relations director of the New York Yankees, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and is currently the editor of Baseball Digest, Rick Cerrone. Had a great conversation with him. I'll share that with you guys later in the show. Show me the money. Also back NFL picks week 16. Went 2-1 and one in week number 15. We'll try and maintain my lead on the challengers. That's coming up. I'll have a special bonus segment for you guys today. Won't tell you what that is just yet, but could be some help for you if you're still working on some holiday shopping. We'll wrap everything up with our two-minute drill. Talk about the absurdity that the Oakland Raiders could end up playing in San Diego next season. You heard that right. You want to stick around and find out more about that. But we'll get it all rolling with this week's opening tip, where we wrap up the winter meetings in baseball and all that happened and what's to come right after this. Y'all ready for this? All right, and we're back with this week's opening tip. Baseball's winter meetings last week. A lot of hype going into the meetings. A lot of rumors going on. But in the end, not a lot actually happened. Bryce Harper, still a free agent. May Machado, still unsigned. Not a lot of blockbuster trades. Actually, only one really big trade in this whole meetings, but it was not a blockbuster by any means. But some interesting stuff did happen. And I'm going to break it all down for you. One thing I noticed this offseason is that teams sort of are following a trend. Whereas... They feel it's hip to address one specific area of their roster, and the guys in that group are all getting signed quickly. Last year was the bullpen. Last year you had uh, you had Wade Davis getting signed early. You had Greg, Greg you had uh, Brian Shaw. Greg Holland got stuck in the market for a while. Brian Shaw signed with the Rockies early. The Mets signed Anthony Swarzak. That did not go very well. This year. The starting pitchers are the ones getting paid. As I talked about last week, Patrick Corbin signed for a six-year, $140 million deal with the Nationals. Nate Evaldi signed back with the Boston Red Sox before the winter meeting started. And a lot of pitchers found new homes in the winter meetings. Start locally, J.A. Happ, Rios of the Yankees, two years, $34 million, vesting option for a third year. That is was something that friend of the podcast, Dan Federico, predicted in an interview I had him this week on my blog. Federico noted that the Yankees already made a big splash with James Paxton, and now they look for a guy with familiarity, the ability to pitch well in New York, and dependability for the back of the rotation, which J.A. Hat provides. And I totally agree. He was a good move for them, and he came over from Toronto in the trade deadline last year, went 7-0, with a 269 ERA. That's pretty good. Now, I know he struggled in the playoffs, had a bad start against the Red Sox in Game 1, and Yankee fans will be a little annoyed because 
They brought him over to beat the Red Sox. He did not do that. Still, as your fourth star, you could do a lot worse. J.A. Happ is now going to give the Yankees three lefties in the rotation with Paxton and C.C. Sabathia. And for the moment, the rotation is full. Brian Cash said he's still looking for more pitching. I wouldn't be surprised he tries to get a trade for a value he likes. They were talking to the Mets about Noah Syndergaard at the winter meetings. Doubt that happens, but maybe he swings a deal for a starter. Maybe he signs a guy for depth late in the year. They have Jordan Montgomery coming back at some point during the season, but you need more than five starters in today's game, and the Yankees will look for more. Other guys find new homes. Charlie Morton comes off the strong year at the Astros. Gets two years, $30 million in the Tampa Bay Rays. That's like a lot of money for the Rays, but do you know what? The opener strategy is great, but they cannot use it four out of five days a week. They have an ace in Blake Snell. They need more quality starters, and Charlie Morton will do that. And Tampa's a perfect spot for him. He'll do very well down there. Another guy got paid, Lance Lynn. Three years, $30 million in Texas Rangers. Good for Lynn. He got a tough break last winter after a good run with the Cardinals. They gave him a qualifying offer, and that offer basically froze him out in free agency, so he was stuck signing late in the, in the year with the Minnesota Twins. That deal did not work out. They shipped him to the Yankees. He pitched well for the Yankees down the stretch. Now he gets a long-term contract with Texas, who needs starting pitching. He's probably not going to win there, but he has job security, which is nice. Even the trade market for stars is starting to move a little bit. Ivan Nova, former Yankee, got dealt from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the Chicago White Sox in exchange for a prospect. The White Sox, we're going to talk about them again in a bit. They're clearly gearing up to try and be a lot better than they were in 2018 when they only won about 68, 69 games. They are going to look to improve, and Nova will be a big boost to the rotation. Another thing that happened at the winter meetings, it would be a shock if the Seattle Mariners did not make a trade. That's exactly what they did. They pull off a three-team deal. Where they get Edwin Encarnacion from the Cleveland Indians, Carlos Santana, who they have about five minutes in the Gene Segura trade. He goes goes back to Cleveland. Cleveland also gets Jake Bowers from the Rays, who get infielder Yandy Diaz as part of this trade. Interesting deal on all sides. The Mariners get another asset back in Encarnacion on one year on his deal. And you figure he's gonna start the year there. Probably won't end the year in Seattle. Probably get flipped at the deadline for peace to help their rebuild. Like Jay Bruce might even pitch as well if he hits well. Like Anthony Swarzak probably will. ADs get Carl Santana back, who struggled switching over to the NL. His batting average dropped 30 points year to year. Still put up good power numbers, 24-86. Figure return to Cleveland will re-energize him. Jake Bowers gives them a good young bat to give them help in the outfield, which is an area they're looking for in trade proposals for their starting pitchers. Now they're allowed to hang on to guys like Corey Kluber and Trevor Bauer. That will help. And the Rays, the Rays get a young infielder out of this. And that's all Tampa wants is young players at this point. So good for them. But again, Trader Jerry back at it again. Mariner GM Jerry DePoto completes the trade from his hospital bed. That's right. Jerry DePoto was feeling ill at the winter meetings in Las Vegas. Checked himself into the hospital's precaution. And from his hospital bed, completed the trade Wednesday afternoon. And this is something... DePoto loves to do because this man is addicted to trading. The guy shapes his rosters like he's playing the show on PlayStation 4. And the guy has made 74 trades since he took over as Mariners GM in September 2015. 
74 trades in just over three years. The guy loves dealing and wheeling and dealing some more, and he averages just over two trades a month, which is pretty nuts. They still have a lot of work to do because they're not winning anytime soon. He's ripping that team down to the studs, and you figure Mitch Hatter will get moved if somebody gives them a decent offer in return. Any of the guys on short-term deals like Encarnacion and Bruce could get claimed if somebody wants them. But he's going to have some interesting strategy there. And given his guts for sticking to it, we'll see how it pays out for him. The only notable position player to sign in the winter meetings is Andrew McCutcheon. He gets three years, $50 million in the Phillies. The Phillies, who have been vowing to spend stupid money this winter to try and lay a guy price partner or Manny Machado, this team didn't quite spend stupid money on McCutcheon, but I think he got overpaid. I'm surprised he got that much money, considering he has been declining since 2015 and is 32 years old. Now, he still has value. Last year, he hit 255. He hit uh, 20 homers, 65 RBIs between the New York Yankees and San Francisco Giants. But Phillies need a leader and a right-handed power bat. McCutcheon fills both those holes. McCutcheon, this kind of feels a bit like the Santana deal that they just dumped on the Mariners to get Gene Segura, but the Phillies need leadership. And yeah, People forget the Philadelphia Phillies were in the wild card hunt early September, had a brutal collapse down the stretch, finished below 500, and actually fell behind the Washington Nationals and fell into third place. The Mets nearly caught them too because the Mets were beating them up in September, but the Phillies still have work to do. They're going to have more pieces because the NL East is reloading big time. The Nationals, Mets, and Braves all made big moves. Phillies will no doubt try and end up either Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. We'll see how that goes. Speaking of the two big guys, we aren't that much closer resolution on either, but I will say this. Watch the Chicago White Sox with both those guys. The Phillies are probably going to end up with one of them. Machado is meeting with them this week. He met, he's meeting with the Yankees on Wednesday, but the White Sox are reportedly going big game hunting. And they want to return to relevance quickly so they could overpay land one of these dudes on an opt-out trick kind of deal. Example here, let's say they want Bryce Harper and give Bryce Harper a 10-year deal worth $350 million, but he gets an opt-out after three years. Kind of similar to the John Carlos Stanton situation where he has an opt-out after 2020, and can either take it and forfeit all the money left on his deal if he thinks he can get a bigger payday, or just keep opt in and get paid. The White Sox, who knows which one they're going for, but I feel like they're gonna make a big push to get one and try to make a run back at relevancy in a very, very, very weak American League Central division. I mean, look at that division for one second here. The Cleveland Indians are still the class of the division. They shook up their offense, still have good pitching. They're the favorites to win it right now. KC Royals, you're going to lose 100 games. Again, that team is not close in the midst of a long rebuild. Detroit Tigers, similar deal, probably lose 90 games. And the shopping of their best players, Nick Castellanos, not going to be a factor. The Twins, who knows what you're getting out of the Minnesota Twins. They made the wild card game at 17, 18, they were a disaster. Who knows which one shows up this year. So there is room to improve and catch the Indians if you're aggressive. And the White Sox is doing that. 
My guess, they're going to try and go after Machado because of one interesting trade they made where they acquired first baseman Yonder Alonso from the Cleveland Indians. Now, Alonso's a nice player. He plays first base very well defensively, which means they can put Jose Abreu at DH, which is probably better because he's not great in the field. But he also happens to be the brother-in-law of one Manny Machado. For $9 million and a prospect, not a bad recruiting tool to acquire and have him pitch to Manny, hey, come play with me in Chicago. Could definitely happen. It'll be interesting to see. Another big move in the meetings, courtesy of the L.A. Dodgers, who have lost two World Series in a row. They signed Joe Kelly away from the Boston Red Sox. Three years, $25 million to improve their bullpen. Joe Kelly gets himself a nice payday after his big October, helping the Red Sox win the the World Series. The Dodgers still in a win-now mode. Well, they still have a lot of big players under contract. They're shopping Yasiel Puig trying to clear the outfield clutter, but they still need a couple of pieces to try and make a big move, one of which is a catcher. They let Yasmati Grandal hit free agency after they benched him for Austin Bars in the playoffs. Could still bring him back. Grandal's looking at the Angels right now, talking to them, but they could look for a guy like JT Realmuto, who has been on the block from the Miami Marlins for a while now. Real Muto be a good fit there. And for a while, it looked like he was be at the Mets because I was very curious to see how the Mets would approach the winter meetings. They made their big splash. They got Robson Cano, Edwin Diaz from the Seattle Mariners for Jared Kalenic and two pro- and Justin Dunn and the and the uh, salary dumps of Bruce and, and Swarzak. The funny thing was, at the winter meetings... Starting Monday night at about 11 p.m. Eastern time, all the reports started leaking out that the Mets were making a big push for Real Muto and that Brody Van Wagenen was obsessed with trying to get him. There was talk that there were three team deals in the works with the Yankees involved, where the Yankees would get Noah Syndergaard, the Mets would get Real Muto, the Marlins would get Miguel Andujar. Crazy deal there. And the Marlins and Mets were also talking about direct deals where the Mets would get Real Muto and the Marlins would get a package of young players. The Marlins, led by Derek Jeter, were very, very frustrated last year by the fact that they basically traded away the 2017 NLMVP in Giancarlo Stanton, the guy who turned into the 2018 NLMVP in Christian Yelich, and outfielder Marcel Ozuna for, in essence, a bunch of fruitcake. They got nothing back in this trade. Absolutely nothing. So they decided we're going to try and shop our all-star catcher who has two years team control left. And we wanted at least one young player with a ton of team control already in the major leagues as the headliner of the package. In the Met case, that's basically Brandon Nimmo, Ahmed Rosario, or Michael Conforto. Reports where the Marlins wanted Two of them. So the Mets were haggling with them for a couple of days. The rumors kept going and going and going. Everyone was convinced it was going to happen. And then all of a sudden on Wednesday night, while the Met fans were fast asleep, bandwagon pulled off a stealth move and Met fans woke up hearing this music.
That's right, Jerry Sebelia back with the Mets. Three years, $30 million, be the setup man for Edwin Diaz. Now, a lot of Mets fans were not thrilled with his signing. A lot of them wanted Andrew Miller, David Robertson. Still bitter about Familia blowing game one of the 2015 World Series by quick pitching Alex Gordon for blowing the wildcard game in 2016 by giving up the three-round homer to Connor Gillespie. But you know what? For remember, the guy is great. Familia has a 273 ERA in the regular season. He's also three years younger than all the guys at the Mets we're talking linked to at this point. Miller, Robertson, Adam Adovino were all at least 33 years old. Familia is 29, which means as this contract ends, he's going to be 31 years old. Those guys will be 35, 36, and their deals expire. It's a great chance they decline in the deal. Brody Van Wagen made a big point about eliminating ifs from his roster, and Familia is the safest bet on the board here, and he's shown they can pitch well in New York, which is also a huge plus. Finally, the Mets also decided, you know what? Screw the Marlins. We're not paying that high a price for Ryan Uto. So they decided this week to sign catcher Wilson Ramos. Two years, $19 million deal. Tremendous value as an option for a third year. You know Ramos, his health's a risk. He's only caught more than 100 games three times in his career. But when he's healthy, the dude rakes. Last season, he hit 306 with 15 homers, 70 RBIs, and an 845 OPS in 111 games. Met catchers hit just 208. So 100 points worse than Ramos. 17 homers, 70 RBIs, and a 652 OPS over the season. That's a massive upgrade he's healthy. If he only played 110 games, he's going to boost their lineup enough that they can live with Darno or Ploiecki for a couple of weeks at, when he misses time with injury. The Mets still have work to do. They still need a right-handed hitting outfielder. AJ Pollock makes sense. They've been linked in trades to guys like Mike Puig or Castellanos. He's a mystery candidate. You never know. The Mets were not in on Familia at all until they signed him. Goes he's a lefty in the bullpen. But Brody Van Wagen's had a strong start to this offseason. One thing I noticed about watching him work, Brody Van Wagen, is that he wants to spend his money better and more efficiently. The Mets enter this winter paying nearly $100 million to the following eight players. David Wright, Joanna Cespedes, Jay Bruce, Todd Frazier, Anthony Swarzak, Wilmer Flores, Jason Vargas, and Juan Lagares. Those eight guys combined for a war, wins above replacement, of 3.4. That is not at all efficient. Brandon Nimmo made the league minimum last year, contributed a war of 4.5. In other words, that's a lot of wasted money that Van Wagner had to deal with on a team that had $155 million payroll. Now, what's he done to address that? They're working on insurance for right to try and get his off the roster now. Owner Jeff Wilpon has said they're going to spend some of that money they get back from Wright to improve their, their roster. Van Wagner's already subtracted Bruce and Swarzak in the Cano deal. He's Ron Tedder, Wilmer Flores, because $5 million for a backup first baseman who, who only hits left-handed pitching is not ideal. He's added Cano and Diaz, Familia, and Ramos. Those four guys combined for a war of 10.6. That is quality additions to the roster, and not simply settling for what the market has left there at, in late January, early February. Now, he still has work to do. He still has needs to fill, as we have addressed before. 
but I'm very interested to see what his next step is. He is very aggressive and clearly believes they can win this year. He's making good moves to try and get it in that place. We'll keep an eye on the Mets, on Harper Machado, on what the Yankees end up doing the rest of the winter as the bumps go forward. But up next, our special conversation with the editor of Baseball Digest and the former public relations director from the New York Yankees and the Pittsburgh Pirates, Rick Cerrone, about his unique journey in baseball right after this. All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast. It's Christmas week coming up. I have a present for you guys, the listeners who've been with me through 26 episodes now. My next guest has a very long life in baseball. He's been the public relations director of the Pittsburgh Pirates, the New York Yankees, and is now the editor of Baseball Digest. The great Rick Cerrone is on the line with me today. Rick, how are you doing today? Well, Mike, great. Thank you. That's quite the introduction. Thank you. I have to give a great introduction for a great guest, so I feel like it had to be fitting. Okay, thank you. Before before we dive into everything, mind for a fun fact out there for the listeners out there. I actually went to the same high school as Rick Cerrone about fifty years, about forty years after he did. Forty, don't make it fifty now. Forty, I'll say that to be fair. And I write the story again in Baseball Digest. Can you tell me the story about how you told your guidance counselor you end up being the PR director of the Yankees one day? That's that's true, Mike. That's really what it got what got it started. Uh, my journey. Uh, I was a first week of my sophomore year after a really difficult adjustment to high school uh, my freshman year I was I was given a new guidance counselor because the one I had my freshman year became the principal so I guess they divide I don't know how they did it but they divided up his students and I was given to a man named uh, Buddy Dowds uh, who was also the football coach in fact his his father uh, Jap Dowds was the first coach ever of the Pittsburgh Steelers so I'm sitting in his office and he's looking at my grades and transcripts and I he I guess he figured he had to find a way to get through to me and get me to focus on school and he asked the question he said what do you see yourself doing when you're a grown-up and I I thought it was kind of a a trick question like whatever I answered he was gonna say well you might want to think about getting a high school diploma to do that so he asked the question, and I very quickly responded without any hesitation. I, I'm the public relations director of the New York Yankees. And he thought about that, and after a while, after I explained why and how I knew about the job and what the person who has the job did, he said, well, I'll make you a deal. If you can get and keep your grades up, do you think you can do for my football team what the PR director of the Yankees does for that team and I'm like when do I start so right away I, I was the the PR director of the Yorktown High School football team and and that's really where it got started did you ever get back and touch him after you were the PR director of the Yankees well that's funny um, so you're going back now to 1996 which was literally almost 25 years to the day well not to the day but 25 years later he was the first call i made from from my office at yankee stadium and we talked about this maybe two weeks ago because we still have coffee every once in a while uh... he splits his time between florida and and yorktown um, and um, you know we talk about it all the time he if he leaves me a voicemail he starts off with this glowing comments about what an amazing thing that was in his office. He's never seen anything like that. And so he he's quite an inspirational person t- to this day. 
That's actually a pretty cool story. Another really cool story I've heard from you in the past is when you like when you were just out of college, you're still figuring out what you wanted to do. You had a running with er the great Ernie Banks at yeah. Ridley Field. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, I was actually in college and probably pretty early on. So now I'm at Northern Illinois University, and I'm in the sports department of the the student newspaper. And one afternoon, uh, my assistant sports editor and I. Uh, a guy named Phil Kadner, we, a letter came inviting us to a college sports editor's seminar at Wrigley Field on a Saturday in May before the Cubs were to play the Cincinnati Reds. So, you know, we were so excited about getting this invitation to go to Wrigley Field. You know, the heck with the seminar. We, you know, get to see the Cubs play the Reds. So, um, you know, the thing might have been at 1 o'clock, so we figured a good time to get there would be like, I don't know, 8.30 in the morning or something. So uh, we left bright and early and made the hour and a half or so drive from DeKalb, Illinois, to Chicago and uh, got to Wrigley Field. And this this shows you what a different uh, era it was. You know, we walked up to the, the press gate where we were supposed to go in, and there's nobody around. I mean, it's literally 9 o'clock in the morning. And... We gave the guy the letter, and he goes, eh, go on in. So we just <laughs> wandered into a completely empty, uh, you know, except for some workers and whatnot, people setting up, uh, Wrigley Field, and we, we went down by the field, and we just stood there looking at the field, which we were more than happy to do. You know, players came and had batting practice, when all of a sudden we see off in the distance out of left field, because that's where the Cubs' clubhouse was in those days, comes a lone figure in a Cubs uniform, you know, with a bat. And after he gets a little bit closer, maybe to third base or something, my friend Phil says, hey, that's Ernie Banks. And I'm like, yeah, Ernie Banks, the great Mr. Cub, let's play two. And he's coming over here. And he walked right over to us like he was supposed to. And he says, you know, what are you two guys doing here? And, you know, Phil said, well, we're here for the, the college sports editor's seminar and he goes oh you two want to be sports writers and phil thank you mr cadner i always appreciate this he said no mr banks uh, i do but rick here wants to be uh, a major league baseball team public relations director and like with, with that ernie banks like got right in my face and said oh so you want to be a big league pr director i said yes sir and he said well then he he gave me this little story about well if that's what you believe in that's what you want to do and you work hard and that then that's what you will do and don't let anything ever deter you now you say back to me I'm going to be a big league PR director and I said well I'm going to be a big league PR director no no say it louder and I said it louder and he said say it again and again and I'm saying this like five times and finally said all right you you be sure to come and say hello to me when you get to the big leagues and he walked off. And, you know, that gave a, a 18-, 19-year-old college kid a, a lot of confidence. I mean, I better make sure this happens because i got to go say hello to Ernie Banks. And So the funny thing was, Mike, that when I finally saw him again, the next time I saw him was 15 years later, and uh, it was in Cooperstown at a cocktail reception. I was with the Pirates at the time, and Willie Stargell was being inducted, and I saw him standing over there and I walked over to him and I said Mr. Banks excuse me but you know you you don't remember this but you know 15 or so years ago and then told him the story and you know I I said you know I you were told that I wanted to be a 
<clears throat> PR director of the major leagues, and you gave me all this confidence and kept making me repeat it and repeat it. And I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to do that and give you my card because you said to say come and say hello to you. And he's looking at me like, and he finally looks down at my business card, which said Richard J. Sarone, vice president, public relations, Pittsburgh Pirates. And he really tears welled up in his eye, and he he gives me this big hug and everything. And the funny part was like ten minutes later he came back. And he goes, hey, Rick, would you mind telling that story one more time for my wife? So, <laughs> so, I mean, I was more than happy to do that, but that's kind of a funny story. Yeah, that's an incredible story. That one got me the first time I heard it. So, like, you mentioned you moved, you began your career at the Pirates. What's some of your, like, favorite memories of, like, working, with, working in Pittsburgh with them? Well, you know, that was a really great time that I wouldn't trade for. You know, I, you know people say... <laughs> that you know God has a plan for you and I I'm a big believer because thank God that his plan had me spend 6 years with the Pittsburgh Pirates which seemed a little outrageous at the time that I would pack up and leave New York and everything I was co-hosting a radio show in New York at the time but the job opened up as vice president of public relations for the Pirates back in the mid to mid 80s after the drug trials and the the team was, you know, threatening to move and everything. Um, but it was just an unbelievable time. I mean, that team that uh, my first six weeks there, I'll tell you a funny story that maybe I, I didn't tell you, but um, when I got there, it was like the middle of August. And the team had just, they were really awful in the first half. In fact, when I got the job, they were probably in last place and had been for a couple of years. And, um, so when I get there, they're starting to win a little bit now. Oh, this is getting interesting. So I went to the, my first game there, and I was in the press box, and I went down after the game into the clubhouse, and I was standing there, and this player, you know, you can see he's talking to my assistant about who's that guy standing over there. And when he, he comes running, rushing over to me, almost like he's going to attack me, and he puts out his hand, and he says, Rick! And I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, Jim Gott! I'm like, hi, Jim. Now, Jim Gott was a relief pitcher that they had gotten from the Giants. He was the, the closer. But And the reason I knew this was because, you know how they have, in the newspaper, they have baseball transactions? Well, we were both in the same transaction. You know, Pittsburgh Pirates named Rick Cerrone, vice president of public relations, claimed Jim Gott off waivers, Pittsburgh Pirates. So he comes over and goes, Rick, I've been waiting for you. I'm holding down the fort. I've got this thing figured out. I've got these guys motivated. Let's go out after the game. And then, you know, what are you doing right now? I said, nothing. He goes, all right, let me get dressed. We'll go out. We'll have some, something to eat, and we'll, we'll talk about what we're, our game plan here. I'm like, our, our game plan? What are you talking about? So Jim Gott and I went out to this little you know, Eaton Park restaurant. Um, we're having coffee, and he's mapping out. Now, we have 30, we have, I forget the number, he said we have 38 games left. So we're going to win two-thirds, we're going to win 24 games we need, plus let's add one, so we've got to win 25 of the remaining 38 games. And then I'm like, okay, so that's exactly what happened in September of 1987. On the final day of the season, Against the St. Louis Cardinals, I believe, at Three River Stadium, we won our uh, 25th game. 
and the fans were excited behind it, and at the end of the game, the players all threw their hats in the stands, and like after the game, they popped champagne. And like in the next day in the out-of-town papers, people were ripping the Pirates, you know, they, they were, cause like they said, we were celebrating finishing fourth. No, they weren't. They were celebrating because they set a goal and they accomplished it. And Leland gave a great speech after the game about next year. And then the next year, 1988, man, we, we took the National League by storm and, and we gave the Mets a battle right down to the, you know, to, to September and Three River Stadium was, was packed. And, uh, you know, we didn't win it that year, but, you know, we, we had great young players. And then from 90, 91, 92, we won three straight divisions. Just couldn't get over the hump. And, you know, it was just an unbelievable time. Everybody on the team was close. You'd go over to a player's house or they'd come over to our house after a game for a barbecue. I mean, that just that didn't happen in New York. You know, I wasn't going to anybody's house uh, except maybe Joe Torrey a- after a game. I mean, I was older, so, but it was just a special, special time. Yeah, you happen to be in Pittsburgh during a lot of Barry Bonds years. There. Yeah, you have any good stories about Barry Bonds from your pi- from the Pirate years? Well, I got Barry Bonds' very first endorsement because there was a uh, a place. I think it was called something like the the Iteek or something, like something cute, like Boutique. This was Iteek, and they used to run these uh, full page ads in Pittsburgh Magazine where they'd have a local. Pittsburgh celebrity with a pair of glasses or sunglasses, and then they would, you know, pay him like $200, give you the glasses, I think. And they called me and asked if we could get Barry Bonds to do this. And I went to Barry, and he was so excited by this. And um, it was Barry and his wife at the time um, did the ad, and then we all went out to lunch. So, um, you know, Barry was an interesting guy. I really liked Barry. Um, you know, I, he was, uh, you know, a little bit of a handful at times, or, you know, didn't make your life easy all the time. Um, but you know what, the one thing, Mike, that I tried to instill in myself, and I'm not sure where I got it from was I did, I don't walk in these guys' shoes. Like when these guys walk in the clubhouse and you say, Hey, can you do this interview or can you do this? promo or something, and they might not answer you the way you, they, you want all the time. You don't know what's going on in their lives, you know? My, I just got a call that my grandmother is near death or my grandfather's in hospice or my son broke it. You don't know these things. These guys have lives. You know, these guys have issues that they're dealing with, and there's 25 of them. Um, and if, you know, I mean, there's going to be great people. There's going to be really good people. There's going to be some people you don't get along with ever. But it would be the same as if you were working with 25 dentists. You know, it's no different. But um, I I will tell you that, I mean, I really liked, you know, I mean, Bobby Benny and I, you know, we got into a physical altercation after one game. Um, I didn't start it, by the way. But, you know, I love Bobby Benny, and we had great times together. And we were like, you know, it was kind of like a family. Um, and it was just a very special time, a very different experience than the Yankee experience was. Yeah, you brought the Yankee experience up. How did you decide to move from Pittsburgh to the Yankees? Well, you know, it was interesting. When I left the Pirates, and I basically left the Pirates because they slashed the staff because they really literally ran out of money. 
Uh, they just couldn't compete anymore. They had spent so much on payroll. I mean, I think their gross revenue one year was like $47 million. And their payroll was like in the mid-30s. I mean, they just couldn't. So they slashed the payroll, and I decided to stay in Pittsburgh uh, and start my own little business there. Um, and then, you know, it's funny that I got a call from the National Hockey League that they were looking for someone in PR. And I started, I, you know, I was in that process and thinking, well, I'm going to be the next director of public relations for the National Hockey League. But it kind of dragged on and on and on. They had to go through all these steps and, you know, whatever. And around Christmas time, Steinbrenner fired his PR director uh, because he went home for Christmas vacation. Um, and they just, he didn't, you know, he didn't think the timing was right because they were going to sign a free agent, David Cohn and whatever. Um, and it was back page news, I think on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day that, you know, Scrooge, you know, that, that Steinbrenner fired his PR director. And I started getting calls saying, hey, they're looking for someone with more experience. I'm like, I'm not going near that. They're going to give this kid his job back. I've seen this movie before. And um, when they did offer him the job back, he didn't take it. So then I felt like, all right, well, the job's open. They're, they, they, like these people said to me, some of the writers that were calling me, you know, hey, they're going to give it to someone. That your name keeps coming up, so if you want this job that you've always wanted, boom, you know. <laughs> so the person that I was supposed to call was Arthur Richmond, who's a great character in baseball. He was like an advisor. An older guy, you know, his brother Milton was a famous sports writer, and Arthur went back to the the 50s. And so he was the like the gatekeeper on this job, and you had to call Arthur. And I, I knew Arthur since the 70s, so I called him up, and I'm like, Arthur, I said, this is Rick. Ah, Ricky, baby, how you doing? I'm like, you know, I, I gave him my best spiel of how much I, I told him the story about I've wanted this job since I was 15 and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I'm waiting for some dramatic response. And he says, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you can't work with this guy. He's out of his mind. You saw what he did. I said, well, you're there. You work with him. That's different. I tell him well, you know, how I feel and I don't take any you know crap from him and this and that. I said, well, you'll help me. Uh, you'll be my mentor. I'll, and that kind of like did the trick. So, all right, can you be up here on you know whatever day for an interview? So, that's how I got my foot in the door. And I don't know how many candidates they had, but I fortunately finally, <clears throat> long after not even thinking about the Yankee job anymore, landed the job as director of media relations for the New York Yankees. I have to ask, you work with under George Steinbrenner, and that was basically right after Steinbrenner came back from the whole being banned for the Winfield thing. Like, yeah, was it was a while after, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah. Was it, what was it like working under him? Uh, challenging, um, but, I, but I will tell you, Mike, that I had a plan. So you know that I wanted the job. I wanted the Yankee job since before he even owned the team. In fact, I have a letter when I was in college. I sent a letter to the man who was the PR director, Bob Fischel, looking for a summer job in the summer of 1973. And he wrote me back a letter that, you know, there's no, we don't have any opportunity. I'll keep your letter on file, you know, yada, yada, yada. And 
I noticed recently that that letter is dated like December 27th, 1972. And it hit me, and I had this letter all these years. I had it framed on my wall in my office at Yankee Stadium, and this never hit me until recently when I said, wow, this is like one week at this point when Bob Fischel wrote this letter. He had no idea what was to come, that within a week his life would be turned completely upside down when this whirlwind comes in from Cleveland by the name of George Steinbrenner and you know heads the group that bought the Yankees. So my interest in working for the Yankees was when they were owned by CBS. So now, in the next 24 years, until I, he had already gone through 12 different PR directors. So I happened to interview him back in 1977 when I was editing and publishing a magazine then known as Baseball Quarterly. And they had just won the World Series in 1977. And I'm sitting in his office for the first time. I'd be there many times after that. Um, but, you know, once I got the job. But I'm, and I'm sitting across his round table, which served as his desk. And one of the questions I asked him was about his management style. And I thought it was a really good question because I talked about, you know, managing Munson and Billy Martin and Reggie. Do you have to treat different people differently or whatever. And I'll, I'll never forget what he said, Mike. He said, Rick, he said, there are two types of leaders. Some men are Eisenhowers and some men are Pattons, which is a reference to the two World War II generals. He goes, and I'm a Patton. And I'll, I, Mike, I swear when I was leaving his office that day and getting in my car in the little parking lot there, I'm thinking to myself, when I get this job, and I'm still thinking I'm someday going to be the PR director of the Yankees, that's the way I'm going to play this. He's General Patton, and I'm a lowly corporal. So when I finally got the job in 96, that's the way I played it. He was General Patton. So I always answered the phone, yes, sir, and I was always, sir, if I may, if sir, if I can, if I can interrupt, if I can this, and then at some point, sir, I can't let you do that, <laughs> you know, but it kind of evolved, but, you know, it, it, you, you were always on your toes, uh, it was a very challenging environment, because you always felt like someone was, you know, right over your shoulder, even when he was in Tampa. You know, you needed to be there when that, if you, if he called the office looking for you and you somehow were outside, you know, taking a walk at lunchtime, you, you know, boy, it wasn't exceptional. Yeah. I've heard lots of stories. You have any one like story about him that jumps out to you about your experience working with him? Well, you know, there's, there's, there's quite, there's quite a few uh, stories, but the, one of the ones when Joe DiMaggio died, uh, he he. This was we were in spring training, and I got a call to be in his office at eight thirty, whatever. And you know there were all, a couple of false reports that Mr. DiMaggio had died a couple weeks in advance. So I was kind of prepared. So he called me in, telling me what he wanted done. You know, I want a video tonight on the on the video board. Well, the video had to be done somehow in New York and gotten to. I want black armbands, this and that. I want a moment of silence. I want. And I said, sir, if you know, out in front of the ballpark, legend, then Legends Field, now George M. Steinbrenner Field, there was a, there was a, uh, you know, a display of retired uniform numbers that people down there called Monument Park, out in front of the ballpark. And I said, you know, people are starting to gather. 
come by Monument Park, they're already leaving notes and flowers at Joe DiMaggio's number. I said, I think there needs to be a really good-sized floral arrangement uh, out there, you know, that we put out there to, to, to mark this sad occasion. Now, I'd already been out there and measured the height of the thing, and the, so I knew exactly what I wanted. So he said, that's a great idea. Get right on that. And with that, his secretary walked in and said, I don't mean to interrupt. I'm not trying to eavesdrop, but I heard you getting you want flowers. And the woman who does the flowers in the suites, uh, she's here. Do you want me to send her in? Yes, yes, send her in, send her in. So this young woman comes in, yes, and tell her what you need. And I said, well, I want to have a three, 28 inches high. But it needs to be this. And I give her very specific. And um, she goes, okay, I'll get right on. I said, now, how long will that take, do you think? I could probably get that in here within an hour to an hour and a half. Well, it's 8.30 in the morning. That's fine. So she goes off, right? So um, I go back to my office, and uh, 10 minutes later, 20, half hour later, the phone rings, and it's the front desk. And the woman says, uh, the woman from the florist is, is in the lobby for you? I okay. So I walk down there, and she's holding this little cup of flowers, like this little tiny thing that's in her fits in her hand. I'm like, oh, boy. She goes, before you say anything, this is not the, the, the floral arrangement you requested that's on its way, but I went around the suites, and I pulled some flowers. Do you want to put this out there until the real ones arrive? And I said, no, I don't, because I don't want people thinking that that's something we would put out there. You know, that this, this not. I'd rather just wait till the real one. Well, with this, who comes walking through the lobby, seeing the two of us with this little cup of flowers, is Mr. Steinbrenner. And he goes, absolutely bonkers. You idiot, this is not what I wanted. This is this is outrageous. I can't I can't trust you to do anything. Go back to your office and I'll never forget these words as I I'm walking away laughing. This, this is hysterical. And as I'm walking to the elevator, I hear from behind me, Sarone, that's it. You're off the flower detail. <laughs> so anyway, I go back to my office, right? And um the phone rings from the lobby again. I'm like, oh, what is it now? And it's this frantic woman from the florist. And she's like shaking. She goes, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, no. She goes, I told him I, after you left, I said, Mr. Steinbrenner, these are not the flowers Rick ordered. I just came up with this idea. And he, he was right. He said, no, I don't want these out there now. Let's just, I said, okay, hey, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, it, 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 I said, this is my life. I said, so anyway, um, the flowers came, went, and everything was great, and I was uh, sitting uh, in my office in the press box during the game, and somebody called from his suite and said, Mr. Steinbrenner wants you in his suite immediately. Okay, so I went down to the suite, and I walk in the door, and he's talking to people on the other side of his suite, and he sees me, and he comes he almost says to them, like, excuse me, and he comes darting over to me, and he sh takes my hand, and he goes, I just want to thank you for all all that you did today for this wonderful tribute, and I'm really very embarrassed by the way I spoke. I spoke to you. Uh, you didn't deserve that. You did a great job, and I can see Hank Hal Steinbrenner sitting close by, and literally almost spit out what he was drinking. He was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so um, I went back to the office, and the phone rings again from GMS Suite, and I pick it up, and it's Hal. And he said, 
I have known that man my entire life. I have never seen him do that. And I'm like, well, that's great, but <laughs> it was just so. There you go. That's one of many episodes in the travails of Rick Cerrone and George Steinbrenner. Sounds like a great sitcom. You know what? He here's the funny thing. What he should have been a character in a sitcom. I don't know why nobody ever thought of that. But it's the funny story is Billy Crystal wanted to do, and he was serious. He wanted to do like a you know a series following me around. And he goes, we'll call it This Is Rick, because that's how I used to answer the phone if it wasn't Mr. Steinbrenner. I would say, this is Rick. He goes, we'll call it This Is Rick. I'm like, and how long, Billy, do you think I will be on this job, you know, doing a, you know. Um, anyway, but uh, listen, I wouldn't have traded with anything. And, and to be very honest about Mr. Steinbrenner, it was a tremendous honor to work for him. Um, he was, in many ways, they could say what they want about him being bombastic and all that, but he listened, he accepted my ideas. There were times when he said, look, I hear you, I know what you're saying, but I'm going to, you know, but many times, and he would, he would thank me for my counsel. Uh, it was just a, 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 a real challenging but very rewarding experience. I bet. I know you've given me a lot of time. I very appreciate that. It's my last question. How did you end up at Baseball Digest being the editor? I don't know. <laughs> I, well, you know, I, I ended up at Baseball Digest because the owner, I didn't even really know Baseball Digest was, like most people, didn't know that they were still publishing. Um, but they had some new ownership along with the longtime publisher, Norman Jacobs, and they had made a decision that they were going to make a change um, and they were outsourcing everything. They were closing down their offices, which they didn't really have that many people in the office, but, and they wanted to outsource. And they were, so they wanted an editor that could be anywhere in the country that, um, and, uh, somebody basically, uh, was going to do like production. And that person asked me if I would want to get involved as far as being an editor. And I told him I would to work with him, but then after he, got the job almost he realized he couldn't do it there wasn't enough money in it for him or he didn't have the staffing but the ownership asked if i would still stay on board as the editor so i mean it was like really you talk about just out of the blue um but you know i i looked at the magazine um and i'm like we need some significant changes because right now we're just we don't have a real focus. I, so I told them what my vision was to quote reimagine the publication, making it more relevant, starting within the game. That was the most important thing. I said, you know, we're not relevant right now in the game. Um, you know, I said, look, I'm looking at your list of players of the year. You've given a player of the year since 1969. But do these players even know they won the award? And you know they didn't. They weren't making presentations of trophies and things like that. So these are things that we're changing, and uh, we got tremendous visibility when we announced our player and pitcher of the year uh, back in October. Um, and Mookie Betts winning our player of the year, and Jacob Degrom being a unanimous choice for the uh, pitcher of the year. Uh, and right now, we're one of the things I'm working on right now is the final design. Uh, and production of their beautiful crystal trophies. So um, it's been a lot. It's been a, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I'm, in many ways, believe me, I, I'm really lucky. 
Okay, before you go, you all let anybody know how to follow you on social media and like where people can pick up a copy of Baseball Digest they want to uh, check out more. Well, Baseball Digest is available at better newsstands and in most Barnes and Nobles, and you can also go to baseballdigest.com to subscribe, and you can follow Baseball Digest on uh, at Baseball Digest on Twitter. And people want to, do you have a Twitter if you want people want to follow you directly? Uh, my Twitter is at Sarone Rick. All right, there you have it, Rick. Thanks for the time. Okay, Mike, thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Same to you. That was Rick Cerrone, former PR director for the Yankees and Pirates, current editor of Baseball Digest. Up next, Show Me the Money, NFL picks for Week 16, coming up right after this. Show me the money. All right, and we're back. Show me the money. NFL picks week 16. NFL season almost over. Two weeks left in the regular season. We're trying to get to the playoffs. Taking the show on the road for the next two weeks because the Iona Studios, where I normally record, are closed for the holidays. Thankfully, I was able to go from Rick to Nick. And our, I guess today, our sound undercover sound engineer for this podcast, somebody who's been listening for a while, Help me invest in some equipment that we're using today to record. Worked out some kinks. The great Nick D'Alessio with me today. Nick, how are you doing? Mike, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. First of all, thank you very much for inviting me to your setup here where you normally practice with your band to record the podcast. Yeah. I mean, uh, seems like the ideal location considering microphones and everything is already set up. So what better place to give this a whirl? Yeah, for the audience not listening at home, we are in the attic level of Nick's, Nick's place where... He has drum sets set up, got a lot of musical equipment set up, and the room's pretty soundproof, so it's a good place to record podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, my little bootleg home studio, so what better way to test out podcast on the road than in a bootleg setup? Yeah, in the bootleg setup, why not? But let's get let's get into this here. Nick's a music guy, but he's also a football guy, and last year he was our reigning, well, technically still for a week, the reigning... Still for a week. Don't more, take it away from me yet. <laughs> yeah, one more week, the reigning champion in the league that I run, Spider 2Y Banana. This year, not go so well for Nick. He played the last place game this week with Kevin Lillis, our, our guy who we had on for picks in week eight. And you two agreed to do something interesting. What did you do? Well, so it's funny. Um, we're trying to... I'm trying my hardest to make the the not bowl... The, to- you know, the toilet bowl. The toilet bowl actually means something. And so, literally, as I'm about to text Kevin an idea of what to do, he texts me, says, you want to just play kickers this week? And I was like, that's exactly what I want to do, Kevin. I want to just play kickers this week. So, um, <clears throat> so we both agreed to play only kickers for the final place matchup. Uh, we chose both kickers in the same game. Um, to be honest with you, I don't remember what the game was. It was, but, the, it was Sunday night game. It was the Rams-Eagle game. Right, Sunday night Rams-Eagles. Um, and to be honest with you... It was exciting. <laughs> it was more exciting than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I was watching that for my own purposes because I was in the fantasy semifinals in another league. I was out in hours. So, like, how'd that end up going for you? Uh, well, I ended up winning, but for some, it was a very high scoring kicking affair, which is pretty crazy for kickers. I think I won 18 to 15 or 18 to 16. But, um, yeah, you, it's crazy because there are a lot of opportunities where the kicker is on the field and. Usually you don't care, but when that's your only source of fantasy points, every time that kicker steps on the field, you're like, oh yeah, I need these points. I need this field goal. So yeah, it was exciting. 
Yeah, makes me wonder, looking at this league and our toilet bowl, we need to come up with a better system for next year because, I mean, you guys, play kickers is fine. We had a guy literally not play a single player in the game. He easily just gave up, and we had two other guys sort of just, like, you know, throw in the towel. We need to do something for these guys. Yeah, I mean, there's we've, we've discussed potential ideas, but I guess it's more of a once this season's over, then we'll discuss some ideas and maybe put something in place. All right. Let's not get into the weeds on this league too much. I'm sure a lot of people don't care about our civic fantasy football league. So let's get to why we're here, <laughs> which is the picks before we get into that. What kind of fan are you? Um, I am a Jets fan. How did you become a Jets fan? I, so I grew up my father being a huge Jets fan. Um, I have vague memories of like that 98 series against Denver that I'm sure Jet fans probably don't want to talk about. Oh, God. <laughs> um, very vague memories, but I kind of fell off of football for a while, and it was really um, the Rex Ryan era is when I started really coming back on strong with it. Yeah. Um, and before that, I was telling myself I was a Chargers fan because I always played as the Chargers in Madden, and once Tomlinson got traded to the Jets, then I was like, perfect. Yeah. I can go back to being a real Jets fan again because yeah. um, I love LaDainian Tomlinson. And then ever since then, I've just been full on with the Jets. The off-forgotten LaDainian Tomlinson error with the Jets. He played there, I think, from 2010 and 2011. Like, people forget he was big for them in 2010. Like, yeah, he had the, big games. Year, he had 1,000 yeah. yards, I think. Yeah, he had 1,000 yards. He had a big touchdown in the playoffs against the Patriots. I think he had two in the wild the wild game against the Colts that I watched at your place. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, people forget that that playoff run was he was a big key in it. It's funny with the Jets. They've had a lot of random like running backs who start off their careers huge elsewhere come through at the end, like Thomas Jones. Yeah, Thomas Jones, yeah. Uh, LT, Chris Johnson. That one didn't go so well, but like, yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. move, let's move on to the current team. Last week, they lost to the Texans 29-22, but the most encouraging thing to come out of that game was excellent performance out of Sam Darnold. Yeah. Darnold was spectacular in that game. Like He made all kinds of throws. He looked poised. He looked confident. You have watched a lot of Jet football games this year. What's your big impression about Mr. Darnold? So my first reaction is to not want to drink the Kool-Aid because I feel like we've seen this before where you have a quarterback play well. I mean, Geno Smith had a good few games towards the end of that one season and everyone was like, maybe Geno's the guy. But that being said, I think Darno's ceiling is way higher and Darno in his rookie year being on seems better than anything we've had in a while. Yeah. Sam Darnold is just spec makes incredible throws. I mean, the play against Buffalo the week before where he ran about like forty five yards to complete a touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson. We had a couple of great throws on the sideline to Robbie Anderson the week before. I mean, in this game, he had the great play where he found him for a touchdown. Darnold just looks incredible. And that two game break helped him. Yeah. And um, like I said, it's just when he shows you what he could potentially be. It's very exciting to think about. And then you think about who was he throwing the ball to in Houston? I mean, I mean, there was no one new, it was just Robbie Anderson. Yeah. So it's for him to come out with that performance with not much around him. Uh, it would have been very easy for him to not play well at all. And he's showing signs that maybe, maybe he could be the, maybe he's the thing. Maybe he's the real deal. Yeah. That would be fantastic. Now, if you were the GM and you know that Donald's not a lot around him, what would you do in the offseason to help him out, to give him the best chance to succeed? Like, what kinds of guys would you bring in? You know, I was thinking about that. I think first and foremost, we got to figure out what the head coach thing is doing. Um, and I think you have to let the GM pick the head coach. Yes. And let the GM pick everything. And then from there, I mean, 
if you think about it, we're going to have a lot of money and a pretty good first-round pick. So specific players, I'm not entirely sure because wide receiver, I don't think the list is very yeah, the very wa- sexy for that. That free agent class kind of sucks for receivers, so yeah. I would kind of stay away from there. But like, what about a guy like Le'Veon Bell? <laughs> That's the elephant in the room, Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, I mean, you could pay him a lot of money and still have a lot of money left over. Um, New York has shown in the past that the quote-unquote locker room headache, they don't really care. Yep. Um, I personally would love to have Le'Veon Bell. I think you're crazy to not want to have Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, he's twenty, going to be 28, I think. He skipped 20, this year. Yeah, So, but he skipped this year. He used to get injuries in the beginning of his career, but I mean, part of my fantasy football championship was because of him and solely because of him. And you look at what he does – he runs, he catches, he's a receiver that can also be a running back. It's, I feel like if, why wouldn't you want something like that on your team? Yeah, I, I think the perfect analogy is, I saw this online on Twitter today from Joe Caparoso, turn on the Jets. He wrote a great analogy about this. Let's say like you and I were going out to a steakhouse. You uh-huh. go and Darnold is the steak and you have a coupon for the steak that breaks it down to a reasonable price. And you ha- went in there, six men like $100. The steak is down to like 10 bucks for some reason. Now you could go get, the really nice wine to pair with the steak. And you can afford that now because you have saved on the steak. Right. Le'Veon Bell's that wine. Yeah. Why, why would you not do that as opposed to going for the Diet Coke version, getting like Mark Ingram? What's the alternative? I mean, there's not much out there. I mean, like Mark Ingram, you yeah, want him? I mean, uh, I've, Mark Ingram's one of those guys where I don't know what he does on the Saints very well. Yeah. He has some good games, but he also has some times where he just – I don't know, and he's not known for catching, I don't think, and just, I mean, we're, 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 we're focusing on Le'Veon Bell because that's obviously the big one that you want to focus on, but I just think I don't see any immediate downsides. I'm sure, I'm sure there could be potentially some things, but if you want to build this team and you have money and you have a young, good quarterback and the best running back in the NFL— don't you think other people would want to get in on that action as well? Yeah, plus they have over $100 million in salary cap room. So, like, if Le'Veon Bell wants a $45 million guarantee, give it to him. You, yeah. can, you can still get three, get him, get a couple of linemen, improve the defense. You can do whatever you want. And you still are going to get a good first-round draft pick. Yeah, they're going to be, like, in the top five, no matter where they are. And, like, you can use that pick out of, like, a tackle, a edge rusher, a lot of options there. I think the big thing that I want to say is – as far as head coach goes, I want a real head coach. I want a Harbaugh. I want I want somebody that guy from Green Bay who I'm having Mike McCarthy. I'm, yeah, I had a brain fart. Yeah. Um, I don't want another coordinator turned head coach first time trying this out. Like, bring in somebody who's gonna come in and he's gonna be like, this is how we're doing it, and do it. I would love that because I'm sick of the whole we're gonna bring a coordinator in, hope we find the next big guy because they don't find the next big guy they ever. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. They play Green Bay this week at home. Both teams are out of this playoffs right now. you have any idea what to expect in this game? I don't. <laughs> I really don't. And I think that potentially if Green Bay, you know, whatever their situation is there, it's it's a hot mess. If the Jets can come in riding pretty feeling confident and get off to a good start, I think that's their best bet. But Aaron Rodgers is still throwing the ball. Yeah. So I don't think it matters how good of a start you get to. I think Aaron Rodgers at any moment can just flip on the switch and just shred you apart. So I actually don't know what to expect from this. Yeah, it's going to be very tricky to tell because there's 
you don't know what the motivation is for these two teams because like the Packers are going on the road. It's Christmas weekend. They got it's like you right. don't know if they're gonna be off to play this game. And the Jets too, because even though they're home, it's like they're out of the playoffs and the coach is getting fired. So like what motivation do they have? It's very tricky. Right, exactly. All right, let's go to the picks. Alex Fasano was here last week for Team Challengers. He had a good week. He went two and one on the week. He won with the Texans, laying six and a half against the Jets on Saturday. I believe you had that pick in your pool as well. They, yes. they looked like it was going to be tough at the end there, but Todd Bowles had to go for on fourth and 14. He missed. Texans kicked the field goal. Alex covers. Texans cover. You get the win there, which is nice. Yeah, that was nice. Uh, he took the Titans, minus three against the Giants. The Giants got destroyed in that game, so didn't even score a point. So good for Alex. That's two for him. But he lost with Tampa Bay, plus seven and a half. Ravens won by eight, so that half point nipped him in the bud. <laughs> that half point. That half point always gets you. That half point's got me a couple times this year. It's very frustrating. On my picks, I went two and one on the week. I won with the Buffalo Bills as a pick em at home against the Detroit Lions. They won the game outright, so I was good there. I won with the Redskins, who, you remember, they were seven and a half point underdogs in Jacksonville last week for some reason. I did not understand that line, and the Redskins won the game outright, so good for, good for me there. I went head-to-head with Alex, and that Titan-Giant game took the Giants minus three, and they got the shutout, and that was bad pick. On the year, Team Challengers 22, 21, and 2. I am 25 and 20, so still very tight in the standings with two weeks to go in the regular season. Until I come in and ruin it. All right, and with that, we are going to this week's picks. Nick, you can take it away. What is your first pick? Okay, so my first pick... I'm going to take the Chargers at home, uh, plus five. Minus five. Minus five, sorry. Yeah. Um, I think that the only bad thing about the Chargers is that they're in the same division as the Chiefs. I think they're just as good. I think they should be, everybody should be going crazy about the kind of years that the Chargers are having, but nobody is. And the thing is, if Phillip Rivers is going to start slinging that ball, you, I think Baltimore is going to have to sling the ball, and I don't know if their quarterback can do that. Yes, that's definitely a very fair criticism of the Ravens. And the Chargers, you're right. People just don't talk about them this year because, like, they've been so, like, because they're the second team in L.A. because the Rams are, are better than them most of the year. They beat them earlier in the year. And, you know, now, like, they're still, they're 11-3, but right now they're the five seed and they have to go on the road in the playoffs to start today. Yeah, and also I'm pretty sure, I don't know at the point that people are listening to this, but I think as of today, I think Melvin Gordon should be coming back for that game, supposedly. Yeah, he's on track to come back on Saturday when that game is being played. So, so you, you give Phillip Rivers one of his best pieces back. I I'm, I'm, I like the charges in that one. All right, that's your first pick. Where are you going next? Uh, my second pick, I'm actually going to take the Bears on the road, who are still favored, minus 3.5. Um, I don't really trust San Francisco's offense at all. Um, the Bears have been weird for me this year because I've been saying all year that they're not as good as their record is. They're, they're softer than they actually are. And I think they're starting to prove me wrong. I'm not sure that they're the real deal yet, but I think they're proving me wrong. And if there's any defense that is going to give the team a chance to win on the road, I think it's that Chicago Bears defense. So I'm going to go with Chicago on that one. Yeah, I like the pick. There are concerns for me there. Number one, the fact the fact that San Francisco played well as he beats Seattle doesn't bother you. No, I don't. I don't. I mean, who's Mullins? Is, yeah. I, I just don't see him being somebody that's going to carry the team. Yeah, that's one thing. The other thing for me is like sort of like what I was talking about earlier with the Jets-Packers game, like the motivation factor there. I know the Bears are still playing for a playoff spot, but like, again, you're going on the road. 
playing a bad team Christmas weekend. You have to wonder, maybe this is a trap game then, where they're sort of looking ahead to the Vikings. Yeah, but like I said, I think that defense is the real deal, and I think all that offense has to do is just enough. They don't have to be spectacular. All right, that's pick number two. Pick number three, where are you going? Um, this is the one I might regret, but I'm actually going to go with the Giants, who are plus 9.5. Um, I know they just laid an egg. I would think that from that, maybe the Giants are going to be like, hmm, let's give Saquon Barkley the ball a lot. Let's let's go out there, let's give our best player the ball, and let's just do something. I don't know if I necessarily think they're going to win, but I think it's very feasible for them to come within a touchdown, maybe a field goal. I think so. That's why I'm going to go with the Giants because I like the nine and a half points. Yeah, that's a very reasonable explanation to take those nine and a half points. I know Dan Martini, who is listening to this podcast a lot, huge call fans, not going to be happy with you, but like, I see the rationale there because <laughs> it's a it's a huge number in a way. It's, it's a big the, number, and they're not terrible. That offense isn't terrible. They can come within a touchdown. Okay, that's your picks are on the board. Let's go to mine. Pick number one. I'm taking the New Orleans Saints. Laying five and a half at home on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Saints have looked sluggish the last three games. I mean, they barely beat Carolina last night. Drew, yeah, Drew Brees did not look great these last three games. But important to note, all three games were on the road. Now they are back home with a chance to clinch home field against the Pittsburgh Steelers team that did not look great in beating the Patriots. And then the Saints have been fantastic at home all season. Tampa week one aside, they've been great. Numbers five and a half. I think they will win at least a touchdown, get the home field, take care of business. And that's why I'm taking the Saints first pick. All right, yeah, I mean, the, uh, you know, their record speaks for itself. They're, they're, they're the Saints. They might not have been playing as well lately, but they still find ways to win it. Just And five points isn't it's not a lot. So Yeah, and I think they are my pick to go to the Super Bowl right now, so I'm going to take the Saints there. And that's my first pick. Pick number two, I am taking our football team, the New York Jets, minus two and a half at home against the Packers. Green Bay is 0-7 on the road this year. I did not realize that. Yeah, they have not won a road game this year. I don't think it's going to happen this week. I know Jet fans want the tank. They want to get as high of the draft as possible, but I just had a feeling all week that they're going to win this football game just because the Jets are home. I don't think Green Bay is motivated to go on the road and play this football game now that they're out of the playoff hunt. I think the number is very doable. It's only two and a half. I think they could easily win this game by a field goal. Going to drop down the draft a little bit and kind of give Todd Bowles a going away present. I think this is the Jets having motivation to play this game a little more than the Packers. I'll take the Jets, lay the two and a half points, take my chances there. I, I feel like I've been in tune with the Jets this year. I think I'm, I want to say like four, four or five or five when I picked their games this year, either direction. So I'm going to ride the gut again there. Yeah, I mean, I said at the start of this that if they come out strong, riding high off of their good performance, it could happen. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a motivation factor. That's why I took that one. And game number three for me, I am going to the Monday Night Football game. I am taking the Oakland Raiders plus two and a half at home against the Denver Broncos. Again, similar deal to the Packer-Jet game here. Motivation question. This game is on Christmas Eve. Broncos were just eliminated from the playoffs last week of that brutal loss to the Browns. Now they're going out to the black hole to play Oakland in what could be Oakland's final game in the Coliseum before they might have to move out, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I just think the Broncos are not going to show up this football game. 
I will happily take the Raiders and underdogs. I think they'll send the fan, the fans of the black hole home happy. Give them a win. Give me the Raiders plus two and a half points. Pick three. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I've had faith in Denver at all this entire year. I'm surprised it took them this long to get eliminated, to be honest. Not that Oakland's had a much more stellar year, but... I think it's just situational here because I just don't... I think with the holiday, with the travel, I do not think Denver's going to be up to play this football game. All right, to reset the picks, Nick has gone with the Los Angeles Chargers minus five at home against Baltimore on Saturday. Chicago Bears laying three and a half in San Francisco against the 49ers. And the New York Football Giants plus nine and a half in Indianapolis on Sunday. I have gone with the New Orleans Saints minus five and a half at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. The New York Jets minus two and a half at home against the Green Bay Packers. And last but not least, the Oakland Raiders plus two and a half in the black hole over Denver on Christmas Eve. Those are your picks for week 16 of showing the money. Nick, I know you want to get to the Rangers real quick, so I'll give you that. So how do you feel about the team this year? The Rangers? Yes. You know, I don't. I didn't have any expectations going into it this year. Um, this It's a rebuild. It, it is what it is. Um, I find myself enjoying these games more than I did the past few seasons. Um, it's just seeing younger talent, seeing a head coach that actually seems like he's structuring the team. I mean, Lundquist had said a while ago that the defense actually seems more structured, although they seem to be leaving him hanging out to dry a lot lately. But it's it's fun. It's fun seeing that the future actually looks promising. And you have those guys who have been around for a while now, the now veterans, which is crazy to think, like Kreider and, and Hayes like stepping up and actually playing well. So I think the future is bright. I'm curious as to what the deal was going to be with Hank because it's I, it's almost unfair to keep him here, <laughs> but he wants to stay. And I know they have that really good prospect, that Russian kid who's supposed to be incredible. So I, like I said, the I don't expect them to make the playoffs. If they do, cool. But I'm I'm actually enjoying watching this team this year. I am as well. Real quick, have you finished your holiday shopping yet? Uh, <laughs> not even remotely close. No. <laughs> All right. I have just the thing. Stay with me a minute. We're going to take a break. We'll listen to our next segment and maybe you'll get some inspiration. We'll be right back after this. All right, and we're back on the Just End the Suffering podcast, our holiday special. We heard from Rick Cerrone before. He's got the NFL picks. I'm giving you a little bonus content today. We're going to give you some holiday gift guides if you are one of those slackers who has not finished your Christmas shopping yet. Joining me today, I have two great guests with me who helped me curate some gifts for fans of the local teams. First up, somebody we heard from on our hockey podcast the first time around. Could not get her back the second time due to some scheduling issues on my end. Here with me today, Mary Omatika is back with us. Mary, how are you? I'm great. Great to be back. How are you? I'm great. Glad to have you on again. Also with me, she did the NFL picks in week number 10. Sam DeRosa is back with us. Sam, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing very good. Before I get started, how far are you guys on your Christmas shopping right now? Oh, I haven't started. <laughs> I have a chunk done, but you know, there's always room for more gifts. Yeah, I always. I feel like I'm... I have a couple left. I'm trying to figure out what to do for those last couple people. Hopefully, this will be a help to the audience out there. So let me ask you guys. I don't know if this is just me, 
do you get frustrated when somebody gives you like a gift that clearly has like no thought put into it at all like let's say they give you oh mary you like the rangers here's a coffee mug with the ranger logo on it <laughs> if it's someone that i'm not close to no but if it's like a family member or a close friend i'm like wow really <laughs> like you couldn't have thought of something else <laughs> but i mean it's a thought that counts right i'm the worst i'm like yeah i will take all the yankees mugs forever and i'll just find a different purpose for it <laughs> all right so let's get, get into the mood here we have split up the new york teams all nine of them we even gave the devils credit here for as being a new york team so we have split these teams up by three we have a couple of gifts from the internet. I believe I went on the team sites, found some stuff. Mary, I don't know where you went. Were you on the team sites as well? I did. Sam went to Etsy, correct? Oh, yeah. Doing something a little creative. All right. <laughs> so let's get started just to give you a hand what we're in for. I started here. I took the New York Mets. My gift that I found for you to give the Mets fans in your life, it is called the, I have to find the name of this. It's such a weird name. It's the Bamvino Bottle Holder. It is a bronze mini sculpture, bronze painted, of a ball player with a Mets cap, mid-swing. But instead of the bat, you get a beer, you put a beer bottle or a wine bottle in the in the actual thing. Wow. <laughs> Convenient. Convenient. And you know the Mets fans, you know they might go to drink when they have some issues, when they're not happy with stuff at the Robinson Cano trade. So, <laughs> so basically go, all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a drinker, but I came to see why this is tempting. If you want to buy it, go to Mets.com, go in the home and office section. That runs you about 40 bucks, and when you give it to your Mets fan in your life, they will never forget that. Let's go to go from the Mets to the Yankees. Sam, you had the Yankees. What did you find? All right, so I find things funnier than other people find, um, but on Etsy, I typed in Yankees, and the shirt popped up, and I like, it's like weird, right? So yeah. it has like the sign and stuff, and it reads weird. So it says, you are, and on the, si- on the left-hand side, it says, daddy. And the bottom is it goes baseball buddy, right? Yeah. So and you're just reading it and you're like, how are you supposed to read it? Yeah. So the one first, that's the first yeah. weird funny thing about it. Second one, it says, as fast as Judge. I'm telling you right now, Judge is not a fast runner. As wise as Sabathia, whatever, I'll give you that one. As loyal as Gardner, okay, I will also give you that one. But the <laughs> last one is you're as honorable as Sanchez. And let me tell you, I don't think he's an honorable player at all. So this uh this give made me laugh uh quite a lot. I'm curious. I want to know how to hit with some of these options, some of these people, especially like the honorable is Sanchez. I don't know how they found that. Yeah, it runs you about like, I think, 27 bucks. So I'm just like, it's $27 well wasted. $27 well wasted. But you give that gift to somebody, they're not going to forget that at oh, all. Oh, no, no, not at all. <laughs> all right. Let's go from the base, from the diamond to the hardwood. Mary, you had the Knicks. What did you find? All right. So I went to the team websites, as I mentioned before. And the strangest gift that I found on there was the woman's New York Knicks Lucky Explorers 26-inch mountain bike because nothing screams New York Knicks than a two-wheeler mountain bike. And it's orange and blue, and I just thought it was so random. Like, you could order it online, and at the moment, the price is $349.29, and the pull-up code, get this, is PULLUP in all caps. In all caps. So... A mountain bike. Yeah. On a team website. Yeah, I didn't, and I, I find it hard to believe basketball and mountain biking. Like, what's the connection? There? It's so random, but apparently it's there, and the regular <laughs> price is almost five hundred dollars. So if you buy it now, you save one hundred forty nine seventy. And remember, when you're on these team websites, they often have these promo codes like, "Oh, save twenty percent on your order, get free shipping." So 
wait you wait maybe you get a better deal yeah the best is it's not even uh it's not even a road bike like you know what i mean like, i know you think that maybe it's a mountain bike it's a mountain bike because all the new york knicks fans apparently live in the mountains yeah <laughs> well it feels like they're driving up a mountain watching the team play this year that's a whole other discussion so <laughs> yeah okay let's let's go on to i'm got i had the brooklyn nets mine was not as high end as the mountain bike but i did find <laughs> something interesting in there did you know that if you go on the Brooklyn Nets website, you can get a three-piece hand care set? Like, literally, specialized. What? Yeah, so they have, it's nineteen ninety nine. It's three eight-ounce hand products. You have hand sanitizer, <laughs> uh, hand soap, and hand lotion in Brooklyn Nets branded bottles. Are they scented? I do not know. They did not give <laughs> that much of a description. <laughs> I wow, did, that's so random. I did not expect to find that on the website. That was probably one of my inspirations for this segment. I'm like, okay. You can go buy Brooklyn Nets uh, hand lotion and want to know what exactly is scented it as. Either like buttered popcorn, beer, <laughs> or I don't know, disappointment. How are the Nets doing <laughs> this year? <laughs> maybe it's just, maybe it smells like the tears of all the Nets fans who had to lose watch all their uh, best draft picks go to the Celtics and turn into Jason Tatum and all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I'd believe it. Okay, let's go. Now we're done with the NBA. Go to the NFL. Sam, you had the Jets. What did you find? Um, I found, I thought this was uh, interesting. And it's not solely Jets, so it's a little off the beaten path. But it's custom gumball machines. And they had a Jets one. It's one of the first things that popped up, too. So I was like, what? Like, So you can get for $314. But if you act now, you can save 10% <laughs> on a Jets gumball machine. Because, you know, every time you want to watch the Jets play, I guess you want to choose some severe gumballs. And they're not even, like, the fun gumballs when yeah. you were a kid, yeah. when it would, like, slide down and it would, yeah. like, light up. Yeah. It's just a regular box. Are the gumballs included? No, uh, they're all empty. All the pictures what? are empty on there, too. So <laughs> I think it's... Uh, for $314, I think they can throw in that's one That's a rip-off. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. That is a rip. I mean, you're paying almost like $400, $350. You can't, they can't give you like a thing of Jets gumballs, like green yeah. and white gumballs. Exactly. And it's it's marketed for man caves or game rooms. <laughs> well, well, I have a Jet fan I'm still shopping for. I haven't found a gift for him yet, but I think that might be a little bit out of my price range. I don't, like, don't, not that big of a friend to him that I can get him a $314 <laughs> gumball machine. <laughs> that's true. Mary, you had the Giants. What did you find for them? All right, guys. Hold on to your seats because <laughs> what I found is going to blow your socks off, literally. I found a pair of Royal Giant Blue Fugs <laughs> with the New York Giants logo in the front. You guys on the radio can't see, but... Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'll, Sam I'll, and Mike, take yeah, a look at this. this. Those are incredible. I will post them on the on the blog post for this for this podcast when it comes up. So if you guys want to get these gifts, you can find the links to them. But tell me more about these, uh, these fugs. They are shipping free. And there's 25% off on all orders that are over $29. I believe that these fugs are like $44.99. So you're in luck. Free shipping, and if you use the code, you'll get 25% off. And I guarantee you will be the only one in a pair of royal blue fugs. <laughs> yeah, I can. I cannot say that that would look good for me. I don't think I'd be a good fugs guy. <laughs> but hey, at least your feet will be warm when the Giants lose. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe you can wear them if you go out to MetLife in January, watch them play the Cowboys, and <laughs> hopefully stop the Cowboys and win the NFC East. But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> Last but not least, we have the hockey teams around here. I I started with the New Jersey Devils, and when you think Devils, obviously you think of gentlemen's toiletry. So I haven't defined something <laughs> about that. So. The Devil's website has a Devil's Gentleman's Toiletry gift box for $59.99. This is a little steep, but it comes with a lot of stuff. It all this has a 250 milliliter glass swing top bottle, 
two, two brass collar stays, a mid tin container, and a comb, all branded with Devil's logos, in a nice wooden box with the Devil logo on it. All of that for sixty bucks. I think if you feel like you get that gift, I don't know how you're feeling about your friend, but thought that counts. I'm picturing just like bright red comb, and I'm just like, Eesh. like, yeah. <laughs> I know. I will. Yeah, it's a really, it's a bright red comb, and then I think all the bottles like standard. Let's oh just say goodness. it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, this is the most reusable gift I found, though. Like, once the hand lotion runs out for the nets, you're out of it. But, like, this one you can keep using over and over again. Because they just give you the mint tin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the tin. No mints. Just wow. like Sam with no gumballs on the gumball machine. Ugh. All right, Sam, you had the New York Islanders. What did you find for right. them? So I've been to about 30 Islander games because I went to school across the street when they played in the Coliseum. And it's the most Long Island uh, gift I found, so I thought it was quite fitting. It is a uh, light-up night light. It's an LED. It's an LED one that you can change the color with the remote. And it's like two hockey sticks with the logo on the bottom. And it says New York. And the other one says Brooklyn. But the Brooklyn <laughs> looks like they just Mod Podged it over. I don't know if you can see it from here. Oh, my gosh. Another thing you'll have to post <laughs> on the blog. Yeah. It's like super, uh, it's an interesting taste. If anyone watches The Office, it's like yes. Michael Scott's beer um, light up thing too so that's what it reminded me of too <laughs> so uh that's oh so sorry that is going for 29.75 but this one you can save 15 percent on so shipping's probably like through the roof but yeah but again you're also are getting the fact here you can reminisce on the very short brooklyn era of new york islander hockey now they're trying to get back to the island eventually true but not in the place we all want them to go <laughs> no they they're spending like what a couple of years there before they go out to uh where belmont where, belmont yeah building the arena there that's going to be interesting to see them play that out and last but not least mary you had the our favorite team the new york rangers what did you find on their site i did okay before i tell you what i found let me just say that the new york rangers they're a world-class team okay this isn't just any team they play at the world's most famous arena madison square garden which is why i was so surprised when i found this weird looking plush toy it's supposed to be of Henrik Lundqvist. Do you guys remember that Cristiano Ronaldo statue that someone made? Yes. And it looked yeah. nothing like him at all? <laughs> yeah. Well, this plush toy is a combination of Stone Cold Steve Austin and Gru from Despicable Me. It looks <laughs> like they had a baby and someone turned it into a plush toy because they did Henrik Lundqvist so dirty with this. It's messed up. And yeah, this is yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> nothing yeah. like him at all. Oh but my God. Yeah, I just this, thought it was so funny. That's that's hideous. It looks nothing like him at all. This isn't the king. This is again Stone Cold Steve Austin and Gru <laughs> from Despicable Me together. And if you have any Ranger fans who are fans of wrestling or Despicable Me like like this, how much is it gonna run them? Um, I didn't get the exact price on this, but I believe it was nineteen ninety nine. Um, but again, the NHL is having a sale, twenty five percent off and free shipping. So. Sign up and save and use the code NHL25. There you go. I mean, worst comes to worst. If you if you don't like it, if you have a pet, that could be a good chew toy. Definitely. Right. <laughs> poor <right>. Lundquist. <laughs> yeah, poor. He deserves better. Yes, he, he does. He does deserve better. Before we go, I want to give you guys a chance. Any plug what your social media handles. Mary, how about you go first? Mary Boberry XO. Follow me on Twitter. Sam, how about you? Um, I'm at S DeRose. Five and uh, yeah, if you want to follow me, post a lot of sports things and pop culture. There you have it. We have our suggestions for gifts. These may not be the most popular ones on the aisle, but you will definitely not be forgotten if you give these things. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right.
that's it for this holiday gift segment. Up next, two-minute drill right after this. They come back the other way, and that is a touchdown for the Raiders' Lee Smith. He had not had a touchdown in four years, and now he has touchdowns in back-to-back games. All right, and we're back on the two-minute drill with a guest for the first time. Nick D'Alessio is back with us. We just listened to that holiday gift segment. Nick, any thoughts? Uh, I, I had the benefit of seeing the pictures of the gifts as they were being broadcasted, and that Henrik Lundqvist doll—I just can't get that image out of my head. It was—it was horrifying. You're not gonna get that for your dad? <laughs> I don't. I—I'm uh, gonna get it. I'm gonna buy it, and I'm gonna burn it. That's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> You're gonna offer it as, as tribute? I—I'm just gonna burn it. The, that shouldn't exist in this world. <laughs> okay, so I guess I say it was not much help to you, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if it helps other people. But we're here to talk some serious stuff here. Two minute drill. The did you are you aware of what's going on with the Oakland Raiders right now with their current situation with the stadium? Vaguely, I know that there is a situation going on with a new stadium, but the full details I haven't fully looked into. Okay, let me get you up to speed here. I want you to react to what's going on here with the Raiders. So as as you know, they're going to move to Vegas in 2020. They have a brand new stadium there. The plan was that in 2018, 2019, they would play in Oakland. That has probably changed because. The city of Oakland is suing the Raiders for basically breach of contract for leaving the city early. Huh. So okay. since that lawsuit happened, Raiders owner Mark Davis has gone out and said that he wants to get the team out of Dodge right now because right now their lease in the in that dump as the Coliseum expires after this season. So that Monday night game in Denver might be their last game in Oakland ever. Right. So that's happening. They have a couple options what to do next year. Option one, they could sign a new lease to the Coliseum for one more year, but as Mark Davis has pointed out, they would pay rent about three, four, five million dollars to play there. And then the city could use that rent money to sue them, which doesn't make a lot of legal sense. Right. Yeah, and probably because the city wants to collect the money to pay off you know that they're still in debt over renovating that stadium. I did not know that. Yeah, the city still owes seventy five million dollars in bond debt to re to uh, refurbish that dump to get the Raiders back out of L.A. in the mid-90s. Oh. So that's probably why they're suing. Right. Makes sense. Option two, move to San Francisco next year for one year. Share Levi State at the 49ers or play at the Giants ballpark, AT&T Park. That's option two. Right. Option three, this is the one I think you'll find the most interesting. And it's something the Raiders have talked about already. They may go to San Diego for a year. San Diego? Yes. The same San Diego that the NFL was dying to get the Chargers out of. Like, would they be going to the queue? They'd be going to the queue for one year. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Think about that for a second. The NFL was so desperate to get the Los Angeles Chargers out of that city, out of that stadium. Now they, they play, what? what's the uh, soccer stadium they play out there? Carson's, like, stuff up center? Oh, I think so, yeah. And that stadium seats, what, 30,000 people? Yeah, probably. See, so 30,000 people, and every week is about 25,000 the other team's fans in there. Right. Yeah. They're getting them out of there, and it's embarrassing, dude. Like, I mean, they're the second-class team in that city, and nobody wants the Chargers there. Yeah. And now the Raiders may go to San Diego for a year. And think about this now. The Chargers could be going to San Diego next year as the road team. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
So Oakland's got a mess on their hands, is what you're saying. The Raiders are a mess. Yeah. And it's so fitting that their team fell apart this year amidst yeah. all this, too. And there's more. There are even more options on the table for where they can go next year. I've seen, I read a bunch of tweets that broke down options they're looking at from the reporters. Okay. I had to find that sheet. So give me one second. Filibuster for me. And just, I can't imagine a team going back into San Diego. Yeah. Well, they might. And imagine if they sell out there. Can you imagine how bad the NFL looks if the Raiders fill the building? Yeah. Wow. Okay, so here are the sites that they have going on here. They have they talked about going to Arizona for a year, splitting the state with the Cardinals. They talk about Portland, Oregon. What's in Portland? Nothing. There was <laughs> Okay. They could, that's an option. St. Louis. The Rams are gone. And there's technically an NFL stadium there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Seattle, which I don't think the 12th man is coming out for the Raiders. Yeah, I don't think so. Rio, Nevada, which is closer to Las Vegas, but again, you don't know what kind of football field they have. Right. And San Antonio, Texas, which previously served as the interim home for the Saints after Hurricane Katrina in 05, but there's a question about the turf down there, but those are all on the table for the Raiders. So what do they do? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) And the funny thing is here that the league wants them to have this situation resolved by the Super Bowl. Because they have That's to... not a lot of time. No, it's not. <laughs> they have to make the schedule for next year, which the computer generates it. And what? And you know one of the big keys to making the schedule is? What's that? Home field? Stadium availability. Right. And right now the Raiders don't know what stadium they're playing in. And we have about a month and a half to go. <laughs> Plus, I don't know about the contract type things that goes into playing in a new stadium, but I can't imagine it's something you just bang out in one day or a weekend. I'm I'm sure it's extensive and lucrative and there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. This is just a mess too. I mean, like what are they doing here? Like how do we not have a team know where it's going to play in a month and a half before the end of the season? Yeah. I, I wonder if this is different if the Raiders didn't fall apart this year. If they were... Top in the division, if they were, you know, one of the best teams in the NFL, I wonder how this would play out a little bit differently. I wonder if people would be more keen to be like, would Arizona be like, yeah, 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 come here, come here. We'll we'll have two teams now that are gonna like draw people in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just wonder how that would play out. Yeah, it's incredibly bad look for the NFL because let's be real, the NFL should not be leaving Oakland because those fans are very good out there. Yeah, I mean the you think of Oakland fans, and I can just you can picture that crazy fan full body paint with like the spikes on their shoulders yeah. and like pirate eye patches and just what, what is an Oakland Raider fan? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that's supposed to be, but you know what it is. You can see it in your head. So yeah. Yeah. It's just a shame. The NFL has screwed this situation up so bad, starting with the chargers and then compound with the Raiders and make it embarrassing. Of course, the next year if the Raiders end up in San Diego. Yeah. I just, it's, it's, I don't understand this need to want to have all these teams in like, major markets like I, I understand it but you know Oakland's their fans go there they support the team the NFL is big enough where I think even the quote-unquote smaller market teams still draw enough people so it's like why do you need to force that I mean I get the stadium lease was up but why do you need to force it into a city like a major city that the team might not even fit in there you know yeah this is just embarrassing all around number one the Chargers had never left San Diego they that's that team was perfect for that city yeah. And they have a mess on their hands. I'm just, what's your prediction? Where do you think this gonna, they're going to end up playing next year? I feel like it makes the most sense to take a stadium that has a current NFL team. Because, like, 
you're splitting the rent. You're still making the same amount of profit, you would think. So probably the 49ers is probably the easiest. 49ers is probably the easiest. Um, I mean, Arizona has a really nice stadium, but San Francisco just I feel like location-wise, it's a stadium that's already there up and running makes the most sense. And you would think they would go the path of least resistance if it's only for a year or two. Yeah. But as this story is unfolding, who knows? You yeah. know? Yeah. The yeah, NFL could pull something out, pull a fast one on us and come up with something unusual, but definitely worth watching. Nick, thanks for the time. Thanks for sticking around for this. Yeah, Mike, thanks a lot for having me. No problem. Before, before I let you go, how people follow you on social media if they're interested? You know what some of the other stuff you're up to? Um, so my own personal social media is kind of non existent, but as you mentioned at the start of the pick segment, we are in my personal recording studio and I am in a band and we did just put out an album a few months ago. Um, that band is called the hot flood. Uh, you can go on Spotify, uh, Facebook page, the hot flood, uh, bandcamp.com slash the hot flood. Check out the new album. Uh, we got a couple of shows coming up in Brooklyn and stuff. Uh, all of our information is on Facebook on Bandcamp, and everything. So if you guys want to hear some rock music, you know, give it a, give it a listen. All right, there you have it, Nick. Thank you for the time. Thanks, Mike. All right, and that will do it for our very special holiday edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast. I have a lot of people I need to thank today, so I want to make sure I hit everybody. First of all, I want to thank Rick Cerrone for taking the time to chat with me about his journey through baseball and to give me some great stories about his time with the Pittsburgh Pirates and the New York Yankees as public relations director. Also, I want to thank Mary Omatiga and Sandra Rosa for taking the time to help everybody come up with some ideas for last-minute holiday shopping. And, of course, our unseen, previously unseen audio guy, Nick D'Alessio, coming on the podcast to make NFL picks in week number 16. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including the full conversation I had with Dan Federico from Bronx to Bushville about the state of the Yankees and the Mets this offseason, be sure to check out our blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, simply by searching for Just and the Suffering in the podcast store. And you can also subscribe on Google Play by searching for Just and the Suffering in the Google Play Music section. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag, this is Rick, you made at the end of this week's show. Next week, our final podcast of 2018. We're going to bring in a buddy of mine to do some college football talk. I've not talked much college football on the podcast, but the playoff is coming up next week. I have a friend of mine who is very invested in college football. So let me catch up on all the big storylines, preview the big games, talk all about that. NFL picks next week. Maybe another bonus segment. We'll find out. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Kansas City Chiefs fans. You're in town. We'll conspire as we dream by the fire. The face on the praise, the plans that we made. Walking in a winter wonderland. Walking in a winter wonderland. Walking in a winter wonderland.